Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music. I want to welcome you to this very special show, the first interview of 2012. I hope that you all have had a wonderful Christmas holiday and certainly a happy 2012 thus far. Again, I want to welcome you to this very special series, the Celebrity Series here with Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music. This series started uh, its inaugural interview with mezzo-soprano Denise Graves, followed by gospel legend Richard Smallwood, and now today we have another phenomenal guest to join the show. Today, it is an honor and a privilege to speak with opera superstar, tenor Lawrence Brownlee. Lawrence Brownlee is a native of Youngstown, Ohio, and he's a graduate of Indiana University. He is taking the opera world by storm with his thrilling interpretations, and he is currently one of the most sought-after singers singing on the opera stages today. He's going to join us very shortly to speak with us about his career and all of the joys that he has experienced through opera. Good afternoon, Mr. Brownlee. Hello, Patrick. How are you doing? Uh, it's good to be with you today. Spend some time with you. Thank you so much. Now, of course, I said Mr. Brownlee, but we all know that that Larry is a down-home guy, and so, of course, from this point on, I'm going to address <laughs> him as Larry because I know that would kind of kind of break the ice. So, Tell me about your recent run at the Met. I know that you have I have seen it in the press and heard the different uh, broadcasts. Tell us about the Daughter of the Regiment. Well, I'm I'm really enjoying this run of Daughter of the Regiment. Uh, uh, ten years ago, it was that I won the National Council auditions as one of the ten uh, finalists. I was one of the five winners, and one of the pieces I think for me, the piece that if you want to say that won it for me. Uh, I sang the Dar of the Regiment, and I remember walking off stage and saying, this is not it. I want to sing this role on the stage. So for me to to be performing right now at the Metropolitan Opera on that stage in this role is a dream come true of sorts. So I'm very, very happy. Uh, The run has gone extremely well. Um, better than you know you could you could hope for a lot of positive feedback and so i'm happy it's a great cast and it's just a real pleasure to sing at the metropolitan opera so i'm very happy with how it's going now wow and just since we talked about the metropolitan opera it was not too long ago that you shared the stage with soprano renee fleming like two great opera singers on the same stage what was that like well i mean Renee is just a few years older than me, but you know, you—that's a person that you emulate, and you want to pattern yourself after. You think this person has been so successful. Uh, when you said before, I don't think I've taken the opera world by storm, but Renee Fleming is the one that you think she's done so much and has been so successful in this career. So, for myself as a younger singer to share the stage with some of these names that you admire so much is a great, great joy for me. But I have to say, with Renee, from day one, when I met her, from the very moment, she has been nothing but a tremendous 
colleague, and she's be, she's gone on to become a friend of mine. So uh, some people supersede just colleagues, and so she's a friend. Uh, she's a wonderful artist, and uh, I had a great time. She gave me great advice, and so that's one of the people that hopefully when I look back in my career, and you know, hopefully I will have a career that is long-lasting, that I can say, you know, in the beginning, uh, towards the beginning of my career, Renee Fleming was extremely helpful to me in my pursuit of this goal to be, you know, uh, an active and, uh, you know, uh, successful opera singer. So, Well, you know, I definitely think you're going to have a long career, uh, Larry, and I think that's going to be based on the fact that you have such a humble spirit, and I think that radiates <laughs> from you, and so I want to personally thank you for that. <laughs> well, I I tell people all the time that, you know, I watched my parents, my mom and dad. Uh that's the way that, that's how their character is, you know, and uh I have five brothers and sisters, so it's very hard for you to get too full of yourself. Uh I'm just me. I I tell people all the time and uh I never try to put on airs. I just, you know, it's not false. It's just me. You know, I just Love the fact that I can do what I do. It's an extraordinary thing to sing on the stages of the Metropolitan Opera and some of these other wonderful, storied, great opera stages of the world. But at the end of the day, you know, once we get off the stage at the Met, a half an hour later we're standing on uh, on Broadway Avenue or some street in Italy, and we're just a regular person. So I always try to take it, you know, you know, that it's not who I am, but it's what I do. So some people get caught up in it, and everybody has their own personality, but I don't get caught up in it. I just like the fact that if I get a chance to do a wonderful thing, but I can just be me. I can go into McDonald's right next door to the Met. There isn't a McDonald's right next door to the Met, but I could go somewhere and no one would know who I am. And so uh, that's fun, And uh, but I, I do enjoy what I do quite a great deal. Wow. And since you just mentioned uh, your family, like, talk to me, how uh, was music uh, introduced in the home? My father and mother, they are probably two of the best singers I know in my in my life. And so I grew up in the family with my father singing and directing the choir at our home church. My mother sang solos. So uh, being one of six kids, our parents, um, some people might say encouraged, but I say, that they forced us to sing, so we would have to sing. And I loved music, but I wasn't one that wanted to sing so much. Uh, music was definitely all over the house, even if it was tapes being played or C you know, not CDs at that time, records being played or my dad singing or being involved with the choir at church. I took, early on, I took to music really early, but I played instruments. I played the drums. I played um the bass guitar, I played the electric guitar, uh, I played the trumpet in the band. Uh, I mean, I grew up in church, and so uh, the type of church, I grew up in a church called the Church of God in Christ, and that's a church where you play everything, so whatever is needed. So it, I mean, it gives you the chance to uh, to kind of learn on the fly a lot of different things, and so I guess all of that stuff kind of contributed to what I'm doing today. Uh, I feel like I have a very diverse background in music, uh, even in high school, junior high school, and elementary, I was involved in the music programs. I think I became a little bit more, uh, I, I guess I can say, eager or less shy about singing when I was in high school. And I was doing everything, you know, playing in the band and in the choir and in the small groups. Uh, and Some of my buddies said, hey, if you sing, the girls would think you're cute. So 
I became a little bit, a little bit less shy by the fact, you know, girls thought, you know, if a guy sings. But uh, my again, music was something that was, you know, always around me, and uh, I loved taking part of it, uh, taking part in it. And uh, I think I opened up a little bit more once I got about uh, to about 15 or 16 years old. Singing mm, that. Now let's go back to the Church of God in Christ because that's a denomination that I'm definitely uh, familiar with and definitely familiar with, with the charismatic nature of, of the music. Uh, do you ever get a chance to return back to that setting to perform at all? Yes, I do. When I go home, of course, they always ask me to sing. And even if I start out, it's funny because they would always want me to sing what I sang before, but now since they know that I've, you know, I've gone on and done some things in opera, they always want me to sing opera. Even if I try to go and sing a little bit of Amazing Grace or Greatest Thy Faithfulness or something else, um, they always want to hear what I'm doing in opera. So uh, I get a chance next year to go back to my hometown, and there's an opera. I'm doing one performance of the Barber Seville um, with an opera company called Opera Western Reserve. And so it's just for my family, my teachers, my neighbors, who people who can't travel to Munich and in France and in uh in Italy, but they'll get a chance to hear it. So uh yes <laughs> I do get a chance to go back and do that type of uh charismatic, melismatic stuff, but um I'm encouraged all the time. They they're even now people will travel sometimes to New York and other cities to see me. So they're all they're all happy and, and proud of what I'm doing in the in the world of opera. Mm, and they should be. I want to go back a little bit. Uh, you may recall this. You first came on my radar, I would say, maybe like um, 2005, 2006, and I think I was just getting acclimated to the Washington, D.C. area, and I found out that you were doing a, a recital, and if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, one of the recitals. I, I know you did a recital for the Jewish uh, community in the greater Washington, but I remember yeah. that that was where the opportunity where I first had a chance to actually meet you and then let you know that somebody that you didn't know founded a Facebook group <laughs> in, in your honor. And, and oh, wow. now that has, has flourished with so many members, and I must thank Makita Hampton, who does a great job uh, administering that group. Yes, Makita came to the show the other day, and so I got a chance to meet with her. I met her last year, and so she's been a nice friend, and we've, got, we've kept in touch, and she's been so nice to kind of moderate that, that fanbook uh, page. Uh, she's a sweet girl, and so, uh, again, I got a chance to meet with her and her parents this past week. So I do appreciate, and I tell her from time to time that I appreciate the work that she's doing with that. And so just humbled that people would want to keep up with what I'm doing. So it's nice to have uh, those people who are interested in what you're doing. Oh, sure. You're, you're such a role model, especially for us who aspire to this great art of singing, and we we just thank you so much for all that you do. And then, and then also about that same um Visit. I remember also on the occasion where you sing, where you sang, excuse me, with Washington Concert Opera. That's where I heard you with Sarah Coburn, who also spoke so highly of you when I interviewed her. Uh, but just in terms of, I want to move on since we're talking about family. That brings me to my next point. Uh, you're a recent father, new father. Congratulations twice now, and, <laughs> and and recently married. How do you balance all of that? You now you have. Uh, your lovely wife Kendra, who I've met, who's wonderful, and your two children. Mm -hmm. How do you balance that now between family and traveling all over the place singing? Well, you have to really be committed to family life when you get the ch well every day. 
thank goodness, I always say thank goodness for the people who invented Skype. No, it's not like being there. It's not like you can't touch them, you can't pick up your child, but I get a chance to communicate with my son, who's uh, my son Caleb, who's about 15 months old right now, and uh, Zoe's not quite that far along. She's just only two months. She just had her 20, on the 25th of December, she had her two-month birthday. So she's a little itty, itty, bitty baby, And uh, but I get a chance to see them, and I get a chance to see how they change daily. So uh, I, you know, the people who had to deal with being away and having a still picture to look at and just a phone line is much different now that you can have a chance to interact with them, albeit not direct, indirect with Skype. I mean, I got a chance to witness the birth of my son, Caleb, on Skype because I was in Paris. He decided he was going to come a week early. So (laughs) we had it planned, but I think God's plan won out, and so I hope that wins out all the time, that God's God's plan wins out. But it was nice to have... It was nice to uh, have that 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 vehicle uh, of Skype to be able to witness that and to share that. So when he's 21, 25, 50, you know, hopefully I'll live that long to see him get up at age that you can share with him, you know, the day you were born, you know, uh, this is what you did and you came out and, you know, I got a chance to experience that. So balancing my family life uh, is just really making a, a conscious effort to make sure that they're always the first thing I think about and that, I'm making sure that I am uh, a good father to them. That uh, to try to impart the wisdom that I was imparted to me. My father is a is one that I you know I cherish him and I'm very close to him. But he's someone a God fearing man that just really, really poured and invested a lot into me. And so uh, hopefully my son will and my daughter will reap what I've been taught uh, from them. I love them of course, uh, and it's just nice to make sure that you know it's just nice to be a part of a family that I see is growing and they're happy and they're healthy. And so they're always my first priority, my first thing I wake up in the morning. I think about my wife and my babies. And so uh, as long as I keep them at the forefront, I think I'll be fine. And so that's how I balance it. And I make sure that when we're together, we're together. It's not just we're not sharing the same space, but that we are investing in ourselves as a family. So if it means getting on the floor for two hours and as my son just walks over on my head <laughs> or just, you know, <laughs> you know, last night, Zoe, you know, I, I, she's getting up at all hours of the night, of course, to eat. And so uh, I slept on the recliner, but that's time that I had, you know, four hours that she slept straight on my chest and, uh, you know, and you just think about those times. And so I'm happy that I have those those experiences and so when I have to go off and be on the road those are the things that keep me sane um, so I'm happy I'm, of course I'm thrilled with my family that is wonderful 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 I want to take a moment now to share your your immense gifts with the listeners I do have a wonderful record I want to play from your uh, debut EMI recording this is a recording of you singing La Danza by Rossini and you're accompanied by the wonderful pianist Martin Cat. So I want to play that recording for our listeners. This is Lawrence Brownlee. Thank you. 
mamma mia si salterà l'ora è bella per stare che in amor non mancherà già la luna in mezzo al mare mamma mia si salterà l'ora è bella per stare che in amor non mancherà già la luna in mezzo al mare mamma mia si salterà presto in danza tonto tonto donne mie venite qua un darton veloce quando atto scuola toccherà finché c'è non mi la una stella e la luna svederà il più bel con la più bella tutta non si danzerà Mamma mia, mamma mia, about the recording Larry <laughs> you know you know as a singer sometimes you listen and you think oh my gosh what was I thinking <laughs> I've thought many times I would love to go back and record that whole album again and just uh, you listen to yourself and you think oh I could do this better I could do that better oh my gosh what was I thinking on that note that could be more legato there could be more colors there could be so many other things with all that being saying uh, being said at this time, I can I can accept how that came off, uh, but uh, <laughs> I definitely would not mind going back and do that, uh, doing that whole recording again. But I have to say that was such a learning experience for me. Uh, as you said before, I got a, I had the great privilege of working with Martin Katz, uh, who's a pioneer, you know, and he's just someone who has worked with so many of the greats that you know again I admire, and he just shared the stage with so many wonderful wonderful artist and you just it's just a learning experience when you're around him so even on the subsequent recordings that I've done I just felt like I was prepared in a whole different way because of the recording I did with Martin and so of course he and I we get a chance to work together quite a bit now and so we share the stage and we've become much more of a duo in the sense that we really can kind of feed off what the other one does and so uh, every time I get a chance to share the stage with Martin, I, I appreciate it. But uh, uh, <laughs> I would go back and change a few things with that recording, but I still, you know, I, I'm happy that I got a chance to do that. And that was really the first thing that kind of put my voice out there for others to hear. Mm. Speaking of pioneers, I would be remiss if I did not mention uh, George Shirley. I had the opportunity to interview him 
um, several months ago. And, and would you be willing to maybe speak about Mr. Shirley and his impact on your career as a singer? Oh my gosh! I mean, what can I say? I mean, he is one of the door, one of the people that kicked down the doors for many of us that are enjoying careers today. And it's not just myself, but there are many other people of color that are getting the chance, and you know, the well-deserved chance, I say, to be on the great stages of the world. But Mr. Shirley is a person that he told me he doesn't want to take any <laughs> of the acclaim or the accolades for doing that. He said. And I quote, he said, every man, the door may be open, but every man has the responsibility of walking through it. And what he does when he gets on stage is will speak for itself. So, yes, Mr. Shirley has become a mentor of mine and friend. And we talk from time to time, actually very often. And so he's always got some wisdom and uh, some really nice things to, to say. And I really do appreciate his friendship and, of course, all that he's done for myself and every other singer of color that is performing today. Mm. Now, I want to kind of move a little bit ahead. We kind of talk about music in general. Could you talk to me, when did you really uh, find yourself catching the opera book, so to speak? When did you first get introduced to, hey, I want to be an opera singer? Well, I have to say, as I spoke before, being involved in the the music at church and a show choir and in high school choir and band, it was there that because of my background in music, I was afforded the opportunity to be a part of a program for gifted music students. And so as a result of that program, we got to take lessons at the university. I'm from Youngstown, Ohio, and the school was called Youngstown State University. So I was afforded the opportunity to take some lessons at Youngstown State in voice. And it was at that, at the end of the program, there is a recital that you have to perform at. So someone had taught me a few voice lessons. I still remember his name. I think it was Mike Reed. He taught me a few voice lessons. I had no idea what I was really doing because, like many people, <laughs> you think an opera singer is someone who's overweight, with horns on their head, speaking in just some weird foreign language. So I was mocking what I thought an opera singer sang like. So I remember singing at the recital, and after I finished, the response was overwhelming. I mean, me, a little 18- or 17-year-old kid from Youngstown, Ohio, who had really no background in this type of music, was just kind of joking around, and the response was really something that I didn't expect. Afterwards, there was a gentleman there, and he approached me, and it was, I was there with my father, and he said, you have a tremendous gift, a tremendous gift, and you have to pursue it. So I thought, me? No. At that time, I thought... I want to be a lawyer. I'm one of six kids, and I was really good at always getting myself out of trouble or arguing my <laughs> point or my case, and I thought that would be a good trait to have, <laughs> a good thing to have to be a lawyer. But um, he said, no, you really have something special. You have to pursue it. Uh, his name was David Starkey. And so I was there, and I thought, okay, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do, was going to do, but I thought I would just go to school you know, undecided, and uh, two of my best friends were a year behind me in school. And so I just said, well, I'll go to school at Youngstown State for one year. I'll go undecided, but I'll take voice lessons. And so I started taking voice lessons there with Mr. Starkey, and I remember going to a competition, and it was that competition that really made me be, begin to think, okay, there's something in classical music. It was called NATS, National Association of Teachers of Singers. And so I won the first place award in that category, and I thought, okay, 
maybe there is something, but I'm still not sure. So I transferred schools, uh, went to school in Indiana, a small school called Anderson University, and I was fortunate to meet up with a teacher named Fritz Robertson, who um, he he is someone that I'm very, very grateful, the work that he's done with me. Uh, he's someone who had his voice more or less wrecked by a former former teacher, and so mm. he treated me with white gloves. And so I am the beneficiary of the fact that, you know, he had someone who didn't steer his voice correctly, and so mine was steered in a way that, um, you know, of course, it's 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 paid off today. So you asked me when did I get the buzz to do it. It was in high school uh, that I thought, you know, I would give it a stab. But over the years in college, undergrad, and then, of course, I went to Indiana University for my master's degree, uh, working with a lady named Virginia Botkin for about two and a half years, and then switching after Miss Botkin left the school, uh, going with the lady by the name of Costanza Kukuro, who is my still my current teacher. Uh, so th- those are that's my vocal, uh, what do you call it, lineage right there as far as teachers mm-hmm. and how I got into it. And uh, I'm fortunate that I've had good teachers all along and people who've really knew how to approach the voice and singing from a technical standpoint. What a wonderful experience! Now I know you got two precious little ones to get back to, so I'm gonna try to uh, <laughs> come to, <laughs> come to a close. I can I can really talk all day, and everybody knows that, so I'm gonna try to be respectful. Thank you so much. I do want to go ahead and move forward uh, as we get to the, the end of the interview, as where we're talking about opera. What was that like for you when you had your first real professional opera uh, debut? What was that like for you? It was great. Uh, when I tell this story, people don't believe it. The The first role that I was ever won that was a professional role was at the theater in Milan, La Scala. Mm. That's the first one that was offered to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was offered. Right. You know, you just go from, you know, I was a very green graduate student at Indiana University. And... Uh, you know, I I got out of there and I was in the Young Artist Program at Seattle Opera. But after I got the role, well, I won them at auditions. And in that fall, my then manager sent a tape to La Scala because they were looking for a second cast, uh, Alma Viva, to Juan Diego Flores, who I'm a very, 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 very big fan of, a friend and a colleague of his as well. But at that time, I didn't know him, so I thought, oh, my gosh. Well, my agent, his name is Robert Mershak at that time, called me and said, you know, are you sitting down? La Scala wants to hear you. And I said, no. He said, La Scala wants to hear you. And I said, oh, my gosh. So, Robert, we got it together on short notice. We went over there. We did the audition. And I don't think I sang particularly well. I, My voice kind of got choked up a little bit because they smoke quite a bit, and I'm fiercely allergic to cigarette smoke. But, you know, I sang, I stopped a couple times, I got through it. It was myself and another gentleman. So at the end of our auditions, the both of us were standing there, and I thought that they were going to come up to me and say, what are you doing? (laughs) Go back and be a lawyer or something like that. But they came up to the other gentleman and said, you know, thank you very much for your time. And then they came over to me and they said, could you wait for a second? And I said, oh, my gosh, wait for a second. Um, so they came to me. They said, you know, we want to go with it. We want you to come here and be the second cast person, you know, for Barbara Seville. So for me, of course, that was absolutely huge. So it bowled me over. And it's one of those things that you could never dream and imagine that something so important could happen to you, a little kid from uh, Youngstown, Ohio, who 
really came to opera by accident. And uh, but you know, I feel like this. I feel like God had it in His plans for for me to be doing what I'm doing. And so I think the way was made, and I'm just happy that I got a chance to, you know, at least show enough that they could say, we want to take a risk on you because we believe in your talent. So that's how I got started, uh, and uh, I didn't look back from there. And He's opened doors for me time and time and time and time again. So, I mean, even though those doors are open, I always think it's my responsibility to be a good steward of what I have, you know, my instrument and my body. I'm in the middle right now of a very big fit (laughs) project about being fit and eating well, you know, because that's a part of what I do. Languages, stage deportment, acting, all of these things and how I look on stage is an investment in what I do because we are something that we are viewed by a public. And so as believable, yes, it is this idea of, you know, like be, you know, transporting people into a place. Cho Cho San is supposed to look 15 years old, but she rarely does look 15 years old. So there is this idea, you know, you have to kind of like transport people to a place with their voice. But there's a lot you can do. So I want to be a good steward of my voice, my body, and everything that I do. So when I get on stage, you can be as believable as possible. Now I saw your um, your T-shirt design uh, for your Fit Club. If people wanted to join this this program, how how can we be a part of it? Your the listeners or fellow singers? All you have to do is. <laughs> On Facebook, say, add me to the Fit Club. <laughs> we have about, well, it's a very, I mean, the great thing about it, it's a diverse group of people who are really just trying to live day-to-day and be healthy. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle change. And so uh, it is not something that you have to do this big, stark, you know, like drastic change. Oh, my gosh. I can't. Yes, little by little, you have to pare it down. And if it was easy, everybody would look like an Olympic athlete. It's not easy. But with support, I believe that there is strength in numbers, and I believe that collectively and together we can do it and do better. And so many success stories, I should say, people who've been motivated. I've been motivated. Even when I want to go and order a pizza and eat it all for myself, I'll stop by the computer and check into the Fit Club and then make a better decision. So that's what it's about. So if you want to join the Fit Club, <laughs> all you have to do is go to Facebook and go to Larry Brownlee, which I am. I think it's. I think I have a shirt, a picture of the shirt, uh, and yeah, you just say, add, right add me and to I'm, the, <laughs> add me to the Fit Club. Ironically, it's red and white. Of course, of course, <laughs> those are the best colors in the world, and you know why. But <laughs> we'll get back to we'll get back to. And you know what? I'm I'm so sorry for being so greedy. It's just been so many questions and things I've wanted to to discuss with you in this this setting. Uh, so long, so so please forgive me if I keep on trying to push this time, but I do want to <laughs> get a couple. <laughs> We're good. We're good right now. <laughs> We're good. Um, I wanted to kind of digress back. I had played that wonderful excerpt from uh, your debut recording, and, and by the way, listeners, if you want to get that recording, just go to Amazon. It's self-titled Lawrence Brownlee, and it's on the EMI label, and you can order that off of Amazon. You can order it as MP3. Uh, clips so you can order the, the real CD, which is always wonderful to get the real CD in your hand with the liner notes there thing. But at any rate, I want to go back to talking about the Rossini, and, and so many people have hailed you for your interpretations of Rossini. Uh, a matter of fact, the well-known music historian Dominique Delerma sent me an email. 
he he just was so uh, congratulatory and, and positive about your interpretation. He said, man, this brother is, um, what I'm paraphrasing, he was just saying that how you were like the, the best thing to hit Rossini since uh, Marilyn Horn. Just talk to me about <laughs> Rossini and what is your opinion. <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> that is a very big compliment. Yeah, just tell me about how Rossini, how you view that and, and what Rossini has done for you as a singer. Well, you know, in the beginning I wasn't necessarily excited about singing Rossini, but sometimes people have said that what you do in life, it finds you out based upon your own personal characteristics of who you are or, or what has been placed in you. Uh, my voice I wanted to sing Rodolfo, I wanted to sing Traviata, I wanted to sing all those things that are not right for my voice, that I don't have quite the heft of voice to sing. And so it was my teacher, Fritz Robertson, who brought to me the Barber of Seville. And I remember singing that, and he just said, after I got to the first coloratura passage, he said, this is where your voice is. This is what you were born to sing. And so I thought, ah, oh, I don't want to, I want to die. I want to feel pain. I want to, you know, I want to sing those long, you know, verismo heroic lines. And he's like, no, let me introduce you to all this music. So it was him that opened my eyes up to Rossini. Um, and so it's something that seemed to fit my voice, where it seems like uh, the natural high floor placement is kind of like what I was built to sing. So it is something that I consider thank. Thank God that I'm singing a rarefied repertoire that I get a chance to go out there and sing on some of the world's you know, important stages. I have a great deal of respect for Rossini, and I've done probably 20 or so roles of Rossini. So hopefully like people that I look up to like Rockwell Blake and also Greg Kunde and Bruce Ford, you know, all those American singers who are just saying a lot of Rossini, and of course many of the Italians you know, and some of the Peruvians also as well, uh, again, Juan Diego Flores, who's a good friend of mine and colleague, I look to those guys and I learn so much and I keep thinking that there's a lot more to do and hopefully I can continue to sing Rossini and that my voice will always be suited for it. Mm. Now, you know, I must uh, give you another compliment, which is not really in my talking point since you, you brought up Juan Diego Flores. I thought that was so wonderful and so humble how you uh, handled that little uh, Facebook Clip, which is which is nice, a YouTube clip of you know you all singing. I guess the same R, and there was a comparison made, and you made the point to let everyone know that you respected him as a colleague, and you all were friends. I thought that was wonderful. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not a competitive person in this in that sense. Yes, I like games, and anyone who knows me knows that I love games. I love to play cards. I love to play spades, and I like to play bid with, and I like to play Scrabble and crossword puzzles and trivia and all this other stuff. <laughs> yes, and in that way I am competitive, but I'm one of six kids, so you can understand it. But as a singer, I feel like it's a tremendous opportunity and blessing to do what I'm doing, so I, I, you know, I don't take it for granted. And I don't have – someone else has, doesn't have to be terrible in order for me to have talent. So I never have that attitude that I'm trying to compete with someone because there's an opportunity for us all to do something. It is what you do with your craft and what you are, I guess, you know, destined to do, that is the main thing. And so I don't feel like me trying to undercut someone or hate someone or, you know, try to talk that I'm better than them. I never do that, you know. The Bible says your gift will make room for you, so I'm not going to go out there and make room for my gift by talking. I feel like 
I just want to be the colleague that appreciates and learns. I went to the dress rehearsal of the Enchanted Island, and so many of my friends who I look up to as far as like the musicianship, Joyce DiDonato, Placido Domingo, of course, who's an icon, David Daniels, and you know those people are on stage, and you listen to them, and it's a lesson. So there's always something to learn from another colleague. Some things may go out one side and you know in one ear and out the other, but there's something that can be taken away from every performance that someone does that you respect or if you don't respect them. So I'm not competing with anyone, but I have a great deal of respect for so many of the people that I share the stage with today. You have to forgive me for this moment of levity because, first of all, you just preached a sermon. I almost threw my laptop and almost got on my bed. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, said, I just want to give you your ordination papers, I tell you. But I'm sorry. I just had to have that, that little moment there. But I want to say, Larry, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This interview uh, not only means a lot to me, but like I said, you have so many people who – um, admire your gifts, your your humble spirit. And just as we close, um, I always like to ask all of my singers or, or whomever I have on the show, uh, just for the fact that we always have younger people who are coming behind us listening and just uh, seeking advice. So I just want to know, uh, as we close, could you maybe share a word of advice for someone uh, who perhaps comes up to you and says, you know, Mr. Brownlee, I aspire to be an opera singer, or I aspire to be a musician, what would you tell them? I would tell them that it is a lot of hard work. It is a lot of hard work, but you have to believe in what you do. Don't let anyone sidetrack you or deter you from your goals. Uh, and really think of everything, everything that you do is an investment in what you're doing. So there's a lot, even for myself, there are people who told me early on that I would not have a career in opera. I'm a five foot six ish, <laughs> we'll say six ish, uh, African American man from Youngstown, Ohio. At sight alone, you would think there's no way that this person could have this career. But I had a father, thank God I had a father, who told me that, you know, it is what is the work that you do that will make room for you. So mm-hmm. I believe that everything I did, I didn't, he was a person that. He didn't let anyone tell him what he couldn't do, and he's been very successful in his life. And so I have that attitude. I'm not going to – if something is hard for me, it's going to make me work harder. And I can appreciate it more once I get there because I've worked hard for it. So I'm not on these stages right now by accident. And there is a lot of work that has gone into it. I mean, I've worked on my languages, and I've worked on, you know, of course, being musical, and I spend hours a lot of time – I, when I was in school, I used to go to all types of recitals, and I used to go to the listening library always. And I would then we didn't have YouTube, but now we have YouTube, and there are so many things that is always something a piece that you can take and try to use it and try to make it your own. So, what I would tell these young students is look at every opportunity as an opportunity to grow, but always be in a position that you can learn. Some people get to this point, they don't want anyone to tell them anything, and I think that that is the most crazy idea because there's something to be learned. If there's something that you don't want, process it and let it go out the other side. But before you stop someone and say, I don't want to be told this or I don't, want to, I don't believe that that's right, look at it as an opportunity to learn because there have been people who I thought 
maybe they weren't saying something that could benefit me. But down the road, I learned I'm glad that I had that information. So anything that you can do to advance yourself and to really work and to 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 have these tools and things to make you more to make you more of a successful singer, really look at it as an opportunity to learn and to grow. So it's not easy, but you have to have you know the intestinal fortitude to really stick it out sometimes. And I think uh, there's a lot of things that can be learned today with people. Go to the theater, go to recitals. I mean, there's so much to do and so much to learn. And if you can just do that and weather the storms. Because there will be some people that will tell you that you can't do it. I'm not just talking about African-American people. I'm talking about singers of every race, creed, nationality, whatever you want to call it. There are people who will deter you all the time. But you really have to believe in who you are, whose you are, and what you have. And uh, and then let God or whoever you believe in take care of the rest. <laughs> <laughs> Larry, thank you again so much for being on this My this pleasure. Interview. My pleasure. I, I am just so ecstatic about this, and, and generally I would open um, the the lineup for calls, but I do want to maintain the integrity of, of the artist and, and just to make sure that, you know, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know what kind of questions might come through, so I'm, I'm not going to take calls today, so I do apologize to those people uh, who are waiting, but I do want to thank you so much again for, for being on the Celebrity Series. Sure. I know you're humble, and I know you're not going to ever say that you're a superstar, but you definitely are to us. <laughs> We're just so thankful, and I'm sure. going to always, you know, hold high your banner and say, hey, this guy is really doing it, but the people need to know who you are. You know, yes, you are Larry Brownlee, but yes, you are Lawrence Brownlee, and you are someone that we really, we just so, we're just so thankful for. Again, we've been listening to this Do interview I get to- with, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I would say, do I get a chance for shout-outs? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was just, I was just about to, to go back to you. See, you can go ahead. Go right ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. I'll let you finish your spiel, and then I'll give my shout-outs. How about that? <laughs> okay. Oh, my God, you made me lose my composure. Again, thank you all so much. This has been Patrick McCoy, the African American Voice of Classical Music, and I do, again, want to thank Lawrence Brownlee, um, Tenor for joining us today, and Larry, if anything else that you would want to maybe add uh, before we close today, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. No, <laughs> no, I'm just, you know, I'm really appreciative of all the people that you know come to the performances, and you know the people that follow me on Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that. I appreciate it. I don't take it for granted, and uh, you know, it takes people coming to the theaters and being interested in what you do. So I appreciate the people who want to hear me. Of course, you know, my family, my wife, my kids, you know, of course I love them. Of course, I have a great management team and people that take care of me. And so uh, I'm very thankful to all those. And uh, I'll keep up with it, of course. You know, I'll do my best and I'll go out there and uh, try to represent my family and all those people as well as I can. Of course, the greatest fraternity in the world, of course, I'm a representative of them, uh, of Cap Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. Of course, I had to throw that in there. Also, I'm a big Steelers <laughs> Of course, you know, everybody knows I'm a big Steelers fan, so hopefully they'll beat the Denver Broncos this weekend, and we'll see how my Celtics do. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure sharing. <laughs> it's been a pleasure sharing, you know, this time with you today. And I know you're going to add something. Here we go. 
You know I can't let you get the last word on that. You know, being a distinguished man of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, but that's fine. My best friend is a Kappa, so I, I and, and actually I did notify your wonderful fraternity that you would be on today. So hopefully they have distributed that information to all of your fellow nukes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna end this right because <laughs> we could go on oh and on goodness. for a while now. We no, it's been fun sharing, sharing this time with you today. Okay, thank you so much. Again, you've been listening to Tenor Lawrence Brownlee on the Celebrity Series of Patrick B. McCoy, the African-American voice and classical music. You can find um, the official Lawrence Brownlee group on Facebook. You may also follow um, Larry Brownlee on Twitter at Brownlee Tenor. I'm sorry, Brownlee Tenor, that's correct, um, on yes. Twitter. And also uh, his website, which is LawrenceBrownlee.com. Is that correct, Larry? That is correct. Okay, that is correct. Shortly we'll be having an overhaul of it, but it's currently it is still up as LawrenceRowley.com. Okay, okay. So you heard it you heard it first here. Again, this has been again this has been Patrick D. McCoy, the African American voice in classical music. We've been talking here with Lawrence Brownlee Tenor, and uh we all wish you a great day. Thank you so much, Larry. Thank you, Patrick. Take care. Okay. Again, this is Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music. I want to thank you all so much for joining me uh, for this very special interview with Lawrence Brownlee. We have been just blessed by his talent and his voice. And I did play a recording uh, in the beginning uh, of him uh, singing uh, La Danza by Rossini. I'm going to play that recording as we close, and I wish you all a great day.
Delta cerca il mondo la più cara volontà Mamma mia, mamma mia, già la tua ne metto mare Mamma mia, mamma mia, mamma mia ti tornerà Rinchia, 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 mamma mia Ti tornerà Rinchia, 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 mamma mia Ti tornerà Again, this is Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music. You've been listening to the Celebrity Series with internationally acclaimed tenor Lawrence Brownlee. Thank you so much, and I hope you all will follow me on Twitter at Patrick D. McCoy or friend me on Facebook, Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music. Again, this has been Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music, and I do wish you all a great day. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.